men monopolizing the word mansplaining. We're here to provide relief from the drone of men explaining to women what it's like to be a proper lady. And instead, we're here to explain how to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of gender in popular culture. I don't know how it is. Kay's gone. All rules are off. Hi, I'm Brittany Walker. And I'm Leah Martin. And this is Mansplaining. Today, <clears throat> today, are we going to do our NPR voices? I get to do all the stupid shit I want to because mom's not here. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Did, did you ever watch or listen to, because you listen to the radio, the the girl, the love show that was always on at night? Delilah. Yeah. So I think my voice impressionist inspiration is going to be Delilah. Where do you draw your in- inspiration from? Do you know that SNL sketch? With Alec Baldwin and the sweaty balls. <laughs> That's my inspiration. That's really special. This is going to be really fun for Ryan to edit because we're whispering into the microphone. Hey, hey Brittany, I have a joke for you. Okay, go ahead. Where does a mansplainer get his water? This is actually my favorite joke, so I'm trying not to be excited. <laughs> from a well, actually. <laughs> Welcome to Mansplaining. I apologize in advance for this episode. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, Terminator 2. a different experience for our listeners because you've watched Terminator 2 before. Yes. Um, how many times? Um, like a couple, just like whenever it would come on TV as a kid, I think. Because it is, like most of our movies, one of those movies that are always on TNT. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is fine. Because um, it's, be- it's the best Terminator movie. Yeah. And you know, I haven't watched this in about a decade, to yeah. be honest with you. Same. And... I was, and I shouldn't say surprised, because that's not a good word to use for what I'm about to say, but I was surprised about how fucking good it was. Yeah. Like, it is legitimately a good movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, Terminator, 1991, it was a summer blockbuster, and it was by our friend James Cameron. You know, I, when I think of James Cameron, I just think of a guy who moves through life figuring out how to like maybe metaphorically like jack himself off oh yikes um yeah because every project he does just seems to be like i'm james cameron i'm so great yeah i would agree with that um and to illustrate that point further 
I wanted to provide some information that I acquired uh, while Wikipediaing, which is the only trusted source I use during research. And that is, guess how many Avatar movies are coming out? I don't know. Five. How about I, not? I don't know. Why? But they're literally until 2020, 2028. 2028, there's going to, to be the fifth Avatar movie. No. And I don't think the world needs this. Is the second one even in production? Yes. Why? Nobody wants this. Nobody asked for this. Nobody asked for Literally this. Literally no Cameron. one. So, James Cameron. Wrote, Except maybe Sam Worthington, who probably needs a paycheck. Who's Sam Worthington? He plays the main dude. Oh. Yeah. I watched. So, I get really, really <laughs> sick at. 3D, this is going to be such a bad podcast because K is the one that, like, straight and narrow road. K is the one that's like, let's get back to it. And I'm like, no, I'd rather talk about my period story from the sixth grade and have Ryan edit that out. And I would also rather talk about your period story from the sixth grade because I have one, too. Oh, my gosh. What's your period story? I'm glad this gets in this podcast. (laughs) K. So my, my very first, my first period happened when I was shadowing at another high school. So I was in eighth grade. I was 14. You were I was a late bloomer. Yes. Okay. I was shadowing another high school, and my mom came to pick me up at the end of the day. Um, I'd spent the whole day there. My mom came, came to pick me up at the end of the day, and I went to the bathroom. And, like, my sexual education as a child was, like, okay, I guess. I mean – like, I knew what sex was, and I knew what my period was, so it, like... Yeah. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like I pulled down It wasn't my like underwear. a carry yeah. it wasn't situation. Like, yeah. It wasn't like I thought I was dying. I was like, oh, I'm getting my period. Cool. And so I went and told my mom, and, like, she was not expecting it at all. It was like she'd forgotten that that was going to happen to me. She went, what? As a mother, if my daughter also hadn't had their period until eighth grade, I also would have forgotten that that was, like, an aspect, and that's why I'm never having children. <laughs> Like, I would just be like, if it hasn't happened yet, it probably won't, you know? Yeah. Biology skipped you. Ah. Yeah. Um, my period story is less fun. Uh, so I started my... <clears throat> Hello, listeners. This is Delilah, and I'm about to tell you my period story from the sixth grade. So I was in band class, and in band class, we had these really gross yellow chairs that were like mustard yellow, and they were really gross. And we had a substitute where we had to sit down for an entire hour and watch Stomp, because when you have a substitute in band, that is the only video they have for you. And (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And when I got up, that yellow seat, yeah, yeah, you ready for it, was a dark, dark red. And um, anyway, for the rest of the year, I was called Bloody Mary. No. I was. Yeah. And I was so mad because like, I know our listeners and you, Leo, will be really surprised to hear this, but I was a pseudo intellectual in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was probably smarter than like, I don't know, everyone around me. And I was not up for this bullshit that these middle school little babies were playing. Like I was an adult. And I distinctly remember, what was her name? Brittany Parker. Brittany Parker on the bus and was like, Bloody Mary. And I looked at her and I go, that's not even original or unique. Are you done yet? Oh, that is so savage. (laughs) But like also inside my mind, I was like, please don't cry. Please don't cry. (laughs) 
Oh. Okay. I want to like give sixth grade you a hug. <laughs> Me too. It was rough. Middle school was rough. All right. So middle school was also rough for John Connors. Whoop-ow. You see wow. that? Wow. Nice. So I also want to backtrack a bit. So budget because this is important to me. It was a hair over a one million. The gross was two million. It was very successful. That's why it's on TBS all the fucking time. There were 53 people killed in this. That's not really relevant. But let's go ahead and backtrack a little bit and talk about the first Terminator, because that's going to be important for some of our feminist points about Sarah Connors. Mm-hmm. So in the first Terminator, um, you have this chick named Sarah Connor. She's a waitress in Los Angeles or wherever she is. And she's, it doesn't matter. Anyway, she's going about her business and, you know, she's going out with her friends. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, a.k.a. the Terminator, starts trying to kill her and she's running. And this guy shows up and saves her life. Turns out they're both from the future. And Arnold is trying to kill her. Because she's going to have a baby. You know, this sounds strikingly familiar. So I remember being told this story as a child um, about, like, there was a guy that came to this girl who's, like, never had sex before. And was like, yo, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is actually going to, like, save humanity. And she's like, nah, bro. But then she did. And she was prego. And she had this guy named Jesus. And I don't know. It reminded me a lot of the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, did you it, get told that story? It did. Yes. Oh, okay. Yep. Cool. Jesus and I are buddies. Oh, well, um, we have a fellow believer on the podcast today. Um, <laughs> so, yes. So we have Kyle Reese, who is the father and he dies. But Sarah <laughs> saves the day. Um, so I think that kind of brings us up to um, Terminator 2, which is the movie we're yep. going to be speaking of today. So in Terminator 2, it's like all that, except like she had the baby and then Arnold's like a good guy. And I have in the notes that I'm going to um, quote it. And I think it's mostly because of my disgust of Brian on The Bachelorette right now. And he looks kind of like the douchebag Brian on The Bachelorette. So I said, and quote, Arnold is a good guy in Terminator 2 and weird cop guy who looks like a bachelorette contestant is the bad guy. And I feel like that's very like he is what I've noticed. And this is about the bachelorette, just to be clear. What I've noticed is one of the qualifications that you have to have to be on the bachelorette is you have to have a very strong jawline, like a jawline that could pierce you. If gotten too close to. I'll take your word for it. And that guy has that jawline. So. You're not wrong. First, I want to talk about Sarah Connors. Because if you talk to anyone about feminism in relation to Terminator 2, the first thing they're going to talk about is Sarah Connors. And this is such a feminist movie. Yada, yada, yada. What do you think, Leah? Uh... Yeah. So, are we talking about Terminator 1 or Terminator 2 being a feminist movie? Or both? I, I think more along the lines of Terminator 2 is well, the argument. It is feminist. Um, so, in in independ- in the episode where you did Independence Day, you talked about, like, first, second, and third wave feminism. Yeah. Right? So, 
Sarah Connor in Terminator 2 is definitely second wave feminism because you see her and she's in a mental institution and she is like super buff, like hot AF. Yeah, girl works out, man. And, but at the same time, like she is, she's like hyper masculinized. Like all of her markers of femininity are stripped away and she's just this like badass killing machine for sure i mean i even read an article that i thought was really interesting and it was talking about how sarah connor's in the second terminator kind of becomes a terminator within herself and that like emotional detachment almost like hinders the connection she has with her own son Mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting but yeah i I agree uh in the in the second one in the second terminator you know to be successful in that environment, she has to remove any aspect of femininity, which was so important in the first film. In the first film, she learned how to make bombs and all that jazz from her BFF, Kyle Reese. Like, she learned all of her techniques for survival from a man. Yes. And now she is the expert on survival. Yeah. In this movie. Very much so. So, I think... That transformation is important. Um, And one other thing that I found really interesting, and this is because I've been reading a lot about Sylvia Plath. Um, So they have kind of uncovered, there was this really amazing article about Sylvia Plath's letters and how her husband, who like was super abusive the entire time. Right. Um, But there was this narrative that he helped cultivate of Sylvia Plath just being this crazy bitch who was like difficult to handle Mm -hmm. and awful. Right. Yeah. And there, I feel like there is this narrative of women who are unruly and who are wild and who don't fit into this typical standards of womanhood being cast away of just being crazy. Yeah. And I think that definitely happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there are so many great striking scenes of her looking wild and crazy yeah. and, and men like literally controlling her and her body. Yes. And she is like literally like confined by the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. Which I thought was a really important. I do want to point detail. out that if I met somebody who was spouting the same stuff that she was i would think they were crazy too i think i would just really love their tumblr um (laughs) i remember way back when and if you are prominent on the internet you would probably remember this too so like i think it was like back in like 2005 or something some guy was like i'm from the future and like was posting on this internet forum. <laughs> Have you never heard about this? God, it's my favorite in- internet phenomenon. And like, I I was obsessed with it. I think I found out about it like sophomore year of college. And I was like, I, I, I was near to the point where, you know, the crazy people that have, like, a diagram on their walls and, like, strings and yeah. and pictures. Like, I was nearly that much obsessed with it because I was, like, researching this stuff deep. Um, but this guy <laughs> came back and was like, I'm from the future and was talking and, like, it was on an internet thread. And people were on this internet thread, like, asking questions and whatnot. 
And he was like, you know, the world was destroyed and, you know, the big cities aren't big cities anymore. And he like created like Brandon Sanderson-esque like world creation mm-hmm. um, on this. It was fascinating. And I wanted to be his best friend. Unfortunately, probably all of it was a lie. I, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I don't, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Trump's president. <laughs> Anything can happen. Uh... I'm sorry to remind you. <laughs> so, um, I know one thing that you thought was really interesting uh, was the family unit and how it kind of evolves. So. Yeah. I I mean, like, so when you were doing, when you were covering 80s movies, that was sort of like a theme throughout a lot of them. Sort of restoration of the family unit, I guess. Yeah. And I think this is not, so... What I what I like about movies and, and literature in general, a, a trend I see between both of them. I feel like this is more of like an interview. Um, a, a, trend, <laughs> a trend You are doing I, a lot of talking. I, I'm sorry. It's okay. Keep going. I'm a, interested. A trend that I see in both of them is that these mediums allow us to play in a world that society doesn't let us. So yeah. one thing that I uh, – one example for, that I really like is um, Wizard of Oz. Okay. And there was this guy – Actually, I think it was a woman. Uh, there was this woman who wrote this article that was talking about how Wizard of Oz was just Dorothy, like, playing around with the thought of um, being a lesbian. And okay, the the two witches represent, like, straightness versus being a lesbian. And... The entire okay. the entire movie was like her ability to dabble with idea and play with the idea, but at the end, everything has to be complete. Everything has to go back to normal, and you can see this with a lot of things. Like, and I got a lot of this from my I'm not studio sure class. By that, I will. But give it's you an the, interesting idea. Yeah, and I'll I'll give you the article too, and I'll post the article in the show notes because it's a very good article. Anyhow. Um, and, and this is seen through nearly all movies, right? If you think about Casablanca, for example, you have someone who is cheating on their husband. Yeah. And at the end, they can't be together because... She has a husband. She has a husband and everything must be made right. So, yeah. you know, the middle... Some people are like, the ending is the most important because it puts everything back in its place. But for me, the thing that's most interesting about any and all of these movies and literature is the middle and how... They play with society's expectations. Right. So, for example, that that all leads somewhere, I promise, to the restoration of the family where, you know, at the end, we are left with a non-traditional family. Mm -hmm. But since we know this is a sequel, right, they have to bring back that family unit. Right. Because everything must be made right. Yes. I get you. So, so like in Terminator One, the family unit is Sarah plus Kyle, mm-hmm. and then this as yet unborn John, mm-hmm. and then Kyle dies. Spoilers. It doesn't matter. He's dead. Um, and then, so in Terminator Two, you have Sarah Connor, who's locked up in an institution. John Connor, who hates his mother can't stand her thinks she's crazy um and then no father and then by the end of the movie you have all three of them together aside from the sacrificing scene of course right like and so they 
wrap it up in a nice little bow. Exactly. Because that's the way society is supposed to be. It's super heteronormative, super typical. But that middle lets us play with this idea of a non-traditional family. Yes. Um, So you're speaking about our 80s movies and one... Also, huge theme of our 80s movies was this anxiety about technology. Yes. Which you see here, too. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was cute. Tossing You're the ball to you, Leah. to me. I'm, I'm looking at the notes. Uh, honestly, I didn't look at these. I looked at the notes. Just kidding. Um, so one thing, we were talking about RoboCop and kind of like this fear of technology and like it was the downplay of Detroit because they have these like RoboCop. There, it was basically just this fear of like technology is increasing at an alarming rate and we fear the capabilities of technology. And you can see so much of that threaded within the Terminator movies. And a lot of this reminded me of the conversation that was happening around i know this is silly but um cloning okay so i think largely it's it's even more of a fear about science and right technology is weaved into that so a lot of so in 1986 was when the first like sheep embryonic cells were cloned and this was made in 1991, and in 1996 was actually when Dolly the Sheep was cloned. Okay. And I remember when this was happening, a lot of people... For those who don't know, Dolly the Sheep was the first cloned being yeah. that was born. Right. Side note, I am so fucking jazzed. Okay, so I think it was Demolition Man, maybe? It was, it was one of these movies that we didn't record about... But there was an option to, like, clone your dog. And they, like, advertised it. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I I can't remember. It might have been Demolition Man. I think so. I'm not sure. And speaking of fucked up futures. I love hmm. Demolition Man. It's It's so bad. But it's so good. My favorite scene in Demolition Man is when they're at the Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, (laughs) they have the pills, the Taco Bell pills. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? N- Remind me. Okay. So they're like, Here, here's your food or whatever at the Taco Bell. And it ain't a fucking burrito. It's like these multicolored pills. Oh, yeah. And Sylvester Stallone, right? Yes. Yeah. He looks at these pills and he's like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> which like I get because I feel the exact same way when I'm wanting Taco Bell and I have to go to like some schmoozy places giving me a fucking quinoa salad. And I'm looking at that thinking, the fuck? I wish this was a bean burrito, you know? Yeah. I was going somewhere with Demolition Man. Dog cloning. I'm so excited that we're about to be at a future where I never have to say goodbye to my dearly beloved Gizmo. Where when he dies, I'm going to put his puppy embryo, I don't know how cloning works, into another thing, and then it'll pop out a gizmo. Just like, okay. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. Okay. Oh, tell me why. Well, it, like, so the way the world works is that uh, beings are born and they live and then they die like that's the rhythm of life and like it 
I think it makes the time you spend with somebody very precious, knowing that they're not going to be in your life forever. Yeah, I like that. But I also understand why you want to live with your dog forever. Yeah, I never want to say goodbye to my gizmo. He's a perfect human. (laughs) You almost called him a human being. Look, he's my perfect child. Um, So there was a lot of rhetoric. And I I remember this specifically when we were talking about stem cells in like the late 2000s of like, well, these things don't have you know, souls and God hasn't touched them and they could be like merciless killing machines, which is what Terminator was, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, you're talking about like if people cloned humans. Yes. Not dogs. Right. If people cloned humans, they don't have a soul and they would, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And you can kind of see that here, right? So you have, um, you know, Arnold and he- You know, a really good show that sort of touches on that is Orphan Black. Really? Well, yeah. Orphan Black is about a young woman who discovers that she's a clone. <gasps> and it's it's all played by one actress named Tatiana Mazzolani. And she plays all the clones. And they're all super different. So it presents nature versus nurture, right? Because they're all made from the same genetic material, but they all lead very different lives, right? And... You know, you can't look at those characters and say they don't have a soul. Because clearly they have like some sort of, like they have empathy. And, yeah, and they're they're very complex people. Right. That's, yeah, I think that's interesting. And it also kind of ties back to Terminator 2 as well. Yeah. Because um, you have John Connor. Yes. And he kind of represents humanity. Yes. And, and Jesus, right? Yeah. He is our savior. His initials are J.C. Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. Yes. Jesus yes. Christ, John Connor, J.C. Mm, very smart. Yes. Um, And then you have these two AIs who don't have a soul. And like when they turn Arnold's learning brain on, one of the first things that John Connor has to teach him is like, hey, maybe not kill people. Yes. But, and then after that happens, the Arnold, the Terminator Arnold becomes curious and asks questions about why humans do the things they do. Like he asks John at one point, why do you cry? Not as like a, oh, stupid human emotions, whatever. He, he truly wants to understand this phenomenon of producing liquid from your eyeballs and why it happens yeah and i think that's a i think that's important because like the anxiety at the time was like okay well what happens if this technology the science progress says says is um what is what does that mean for their ability to kind of Exhibit these traits that we always identify as human. Yes. I really feel like that that's coming back around because of how sophisticated AI is becoming. Yeah. Like Elon Musk, who uh, is like the guy from Tesla and SpaceX. And um, he said, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like uh, he's like terrified of AI and it's like going to be disastrous for the human race or something like that. Yeah. And that – one statement has 
people in like a terrified panic about artificial intelligence. And you can kind of see that in more recent films as well. I'm thinking of like her, for example. Yeah. And um, what was the other one? Ex Machina? Yeah. Which both fantastic films, mm-hmm. but it's amazing to me because, you know, this this fear and this anxiety is presenting itself in media since, well, you know, before the 80s, honestly. You, yeah. you saw it in, like, Metropolis, for example. Um, and that was a long time ago. I don't know the date on the top of my head. Right. So, um... I want to do a hard a hard right, if you don't mind, Leah. Yeah, do it. Uh, let's talk about war. Okay, if we have to. I mean, let's go. Okay. Um, so, what was happening in 1991? Uh, the Gulf War with with uh, first first Bush. Bush one. Bush Bush, Bush Prime. H W. Yeah, I like to call him Bush Prime because yeah. it, it makes it more fun. Okay, you know, yeah. um, because otherwise it turns sad. Because <laughs> you, you have these awful human beings that just like paint puppies on their free time, but then like send drones to kill innocent people. Yeah. Um. So Gulf War was happening, and okay. So one of my favorite favorite um scenes in this film. Okay. And a scene that I think is probably the most important scene of the whole film yes. is. You got Arnold and John Connors, and you have, and, and I know you talked about this too, right? You yeah. have um, these two boys, and they have guns, and they're just they're just like playing war, like little boys do, or like little kids do, I should say. Sometimes, if, yeah, I yes. agree. Yeah. Yes, um, and John sees them, and he's watching them, and he just has like the saddest reaction, and like at the time, they're mm-hmm. like. Like, on the run and, like, picking up weapons and, like, gearing up to go do more battle. And he looks at the Terminator and he says, we're not going to make it, are we? And the Terminator's response is, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Which is so profound and so true. And I think I like that because it works on multiple levels. One, it talks about war, obviously. And... I was talking with someone, I I was talking about my students, and my students have never known a time in their entire lives in which we have not been at war. That is crazy. And it's crazy to think about, right? This movie was made right as the Gulf War was ending, and it's so, I think it was so easy to be panicked about the fact, like, is this always, are we always going to be destroying each other? Yeah. Not just us, meaning you, S versus X, whoever I mean, our big bad is. if you think about is. how many wars there have been in the 20th century alone, like, the entire century was spent with people killing each other. Exactly. Um, so, one thing that you brought to my attention yes. was John Connor, the future, future John Connor, who appears, like, in a brief flash forward, I think. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, brought Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwar- I cannot say his last name. So. Schwarzenegger. Can you say Arnie if you want? Mr. S- Mr. S. Um, brought Mr. S back and didn't think to like make him more human-like. Yeah. So like John Connor has to tell him not to kill people. Like it's crazy to me that he wasn't programmed for minimal loss of life. 
So, yeah, and, and I think that speaks more to what you're even talking about with Orphan Black as far as nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. You can see with kid John Connors that he has empathy and he has this um, passion for human life still. Yes. But the fact that the Terminator was sent back without that is is kind of an argument for its its nature because... John Connors had to harden up yeah. as he got older in the environment in which he was in the future. And he lost that. Like, it's so ironic to me that, like, he is locked in this war to save humanity. But when he sends this machine back to save humanity, he doesn't program it to do that. Yeah. And it's, I think... What makes it really interesting to me is it is immensely complex when you, like, start thinking about kind of its commentary on the real world and especially how it applies now when we are, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. I think it's 20 years. 20. I 26. 26 years. It's almost as old as me. This yeah. movie is almost as old as me. This movie can drink, you know? <laughs> Um, this movie can rent a car. Yeah, this movie can rent a car. This movie doesn't have to pay a deposit when he rents a car, you know? Yeah. Um, but we're still feeling these things. Um, and this movie exposes kind of the failures of both machine and humans, you know? The machines lack souls and emotions and empathy, and humans have that, right? Or, or so we assume. We assume, Right. And humans have that, but also they're, like, killing each other, yeah. and they're flawed, and, you know, they're making the machines themselves, and- At these, least in the beginning. Right, and these machines are flawed, and- Yes. Because they don't- If you have something that's made by a human, it's going to be flawed like a human is. Exactly, and I, I don't know, I- It's just very- It's interesting to me, um, and additionally, I think it says something larger about, like- does it matter? Like there's this kind of like ex ex existential crisis within the film yeah. where it's like we're going through all of this madness to – Is it even really going to make a difference? Yeah, to protect humanity. But like does it fucking matter because in the end is ha humanity just going to destroy itself anyway? Like that so much. Yeah, and I especially feel that way this morning when I woke up. <sighs> Man. And, and we, we kind of – don't talk explicitly about um current politics current politics and the but you know this morning i woke up to trump's tweet about not allowing transgender people into the military and i remember waking up i don't remember how many years ago this was i think 3 or 4 when essentially like gay marriage was legalized yeah and feeling like that feeling of relief of like it seems so victorious. Yeah, it seems so victorious. I was like, oh my god! Like all everything of this is work, changing. Yeah, all of this work, all of all everything that I, I say, my people, but you know what I mean, like progressives. I guess I don't know what to call us. Yeah, um, have been working for is finally making a change because so much of the time I'm reminded of um this. In my head, uh, th there's this speech that Martin Luther King did in St. Louis, and it's called the pro um, In Relation to the Progress of Race Relations. And, you know, it was this question of, have we done enough? 
have we done too little? And like, it's both like we have done something, but not enough. And I kept feeling as though like, it doesn't matter because there's no progress. And like finally feeling like there was. And then today I wake up. Yeah. And humanity is destroying itself. Yeah. You know, like I, I wanted, like I was, I spent so, so much of today, like so angry, just like, Wanting to set everything on fire. I I think mostly – Burn it all down. Yeah. I felt helpless, which I presume is kind of what John Connors felt at this moment of, I'm going through all of this, but is it going to be worth it in the end? One thing – I'm going to read this out loud because I love it. So Sarah Connors says, Fucking men like you built the hydrogen bomb. Men like you. Cut it up. I think you're so creative. You don't know what it's like to really create something, to create a life, to feel it growing inside you. All you know know is how to create create death death and destruction. And I don't think that men are responsible for um, death and destruction. Men as a gender. As a gender. <laughs> yeah. Um, they don't have a monopoly on that. Yeah. Although they do contribute their fair share. For sure. Um, but Sarah Connors in this movie kind of blames the downfall on men and says, you know, yeah. women create life. Kind of, and, and it's strange because she this, – this is a dichotomy I see a lot as far as when we're talking about gender roles is women create life. They're the angel of the house. They are kind. They are compassionate, yeah. et cetera. Men – Yeah. You know, and it – like while people are arguing that this is a feminist movie, it is also reinforcing – Those gender roles. Yeah. These gender roles of like women can't be bitches and yeah. – they have to be kind and considerate because they create, whereas, you know, th- this kind of, like, dichotomy. So you can still see that it's a product of the times, no matter how progressive it intends to be. Um, I guess we should end on the thing that you were most annoyed by. <laughs> right. So, like, the whole premise of the movie is super arrogant, right? So this premise that, like, John Connor. So the reason they want to kill John Connor is because he grows up to lead the resistance against the machines. But that assumes that if John Connor dies or doesn't be doesn't doesn't get born, that was an awkward phrase. If he if he isn't born or if he dies, then nobody is going to lead the resistance. It's either him or no one. And. I liked specifically the way that you worded this, which is why I left it in the notes in all caps. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, you can read it. It's like, this one man is so important, more important than all other humans who ever lived and whoever will live. And you went on to say, resistance against oppression has never hinged on the leadership of one person. Yeah. And I think that's so dynamic. Because so many times when you feel as an individual helpless, yeah, it's important to remember that you're not the only one fighting the fight. Yeah. And it's not just going to be John Connors who's going to save the world. It's going to be all of us collectively. And 
I think that's kind of where I want to leave this. And I think mostly it's because today was rough. Yeah. And it's not just today. Fuck. This entire fucking year has been rough, (sighs) you know? And it's easy to be John Connors and look at the world and say, we're not going to make it, are we? Yeah. And then go back and realize that it's not just one man. It's being gender-wise. It's all of us. Yes. Together as a unit. And I don't know. That that makes it a lot less scary, I think. Yeah. And a lot less hopeless. Yes. Because, like, if if all of us are calling our senators, if all of us are protesting, if all of us are participating in boycotts, then that makes a difference. It's not one person that's going to save the world. It's not one person that's going to fix everything. We're all going to fix it. We're all going to do what we can. Yes. And that's mansplaining. Yes. Mansplaining. Your outro. Oh, fuck. Kay always has to do this because I forget. Um, something about Kenny and... Oh, here's Ryan with the outro. Hey, thanks to Kenny Kenny OO for our theme song. It's add 60 seconds to the Bechdel test. You can find their song, that song, that one, and all their other music at kennykennyoo.bandcamp.com. You can find Mansplaining at mansplainingpodcast.com or mansplaining.rivercityarchery.club. You also find Mansplaining on Facebook. It is at mansplainingpodcast. We're also on Twitter and other stuff, and all those links are on the Facebook page or on the website. So go and find them there. Awesome. Thanks, Leah, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Bye. Bye.